and this month, it's an exciting time because we're thinking about others. That often helps us. Uh, and I think it helps us in more ways than one, not just in missions, but to be concerned about others. In fact, there's a song, we're not going to sing it tonight, but Jesus and others and you. Stand Jesus, for he has first place. O stands for others. We meet face to face. Y is for you, and whatever you do, put yourself last and spell joy. That's the way to have joy in your life, is put Jesus first in your life. Others ought to be in our hearts, and that will keep our minds off of the things that are going around that bother us a lot. And that's what makes uh, being a Christian exciting, when we have the right order. Now, if you mess up the order and put yourself first, you're going to have Y-J-O, and that doesn't spell anything. So then you're all messed up. And so you need to put Jesus first in your life. Now, what a blessing it is to serve the Lord. And I grew up in a home. My dad's here. Some of you don't know uh, my family. My dad and his wife and Nancy are here, and we're glad to be able to fellowship with them. And uh, I'm thankful that I grew up in a family that loved the Lord and that served the Lord. And I watched my dad and mom serve the Lord all their life. Just as laymen in a church, my dad wasn't a preacher. Uh, you give him a chance to preach, he'd probably, he'd probably shoot a few rounds there, uh, having been a, a career Marine. But I love the way that God led our family all through the years. Actually, Uncle Sam told him where to go. And every place that Uncle Sam told him to go, since he was in the Marines, it was always obvious God was in control. He wasn't Uncle Sam. And uh, we saw God work. We saw God lead. We saw parts of the world that we uh, would not have seen had my dad not been in the Marines. Of course, we stayed homeside. Dad did all of his overseas traveling before us. Kids came along. And... Uh, I, you know, I often wanted to be in the Marines when I got to be 15 years old. I told uh, uh, my dad, I said, Dad, I want to join the Marines. He said, son, if you join the Marines, I'll kill you. <laughs> he and I were really close, so don't think that was anything bad. He was just saying to me, you see a lot of the pomp and circumstance and, and the formalities that make it look exciting, but there's something that my mom and dad did prepare me for, and that's to be in the Lord's Army. And so uh, I can remember as a little boy singing that song, I'm in the Lord's Army. And for me, you know, coming from a military home, it has a little bit of a different uh, flair to it. You know, yes, sir, I'm going to join the Lord's Army. I'm going to serve him. And I always thought it would be great to be in the, in, in the military. Those of you that have served so much for serving our country, and we, we honor you and uh, respect you greatly. Had I had that leading of the Lord, I would have done so in my life. But uh, I, I decided to serve the Lord with my life, and you did too, uh, and since you've come to know the Lord, and that's... That's the great thing about being a part of the family of God. And so we're going to think about tonight what great things God can do. Would you think through that with me? What great things God can do? I tell you what, when you think about what great things God can do, it is amazing. And uh, you might be thinking, what is God doing (laughs) in the last year that we've been through? What is God doing? Well, can I read you a verse? Don't turn here, but I love this verse. I'm just going to read the last part of it that says that God is long-suffering, not, uh, long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You really want to know what's happening in this age? God's turning people's hearts towards him. He's not willing that any should perish. And people are thinking about life. They're thinking about life in a different way than they have in a long time. Why? And we're seeing people die all around us, aren't we? And affected by this, this uh, pandemic. And, and it has changed our lives, hasn't it? And we need to be ready for the future. And I believe that's one of the things God's doing. And you think, well, that's a terrible way to do it. Well, you know what? We're such 
as people that we get, our, get sidetracking, we get distracted by life, and we get distracted by schedules. And I believe what God has done is he put our focus right where it needs to be, and that's on what's coming next. What about eternity? Are we ready? And that's what I believe God is doing right now. But I, I tell you, God's done some wonderful things in our day. And we go all the way back to the cross, and we think about Jesus dying on the cross, and he made a way for all of us to be saved. He paid for our sin debt on Calvary when he died. Isn't that a blessing? We ought never forget how wonderful it is that Jesus died for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. And these little characters that are so cute, and whoever did that, I heard your name, I don't remember who you are, but uh, such a one, did you do that? My wife's pointing at you saying, pastor's wife. So, <laughs> wonderful job. I love it. Uh, that ought to be entered in some kind of contest. That would win every time. But uh, what a wonderful thing. These, these countries represented by these beautiful uh, creations are something we ought to keep in our heart and in our mind as we think about God's salvation. So, the Lord didn't just save me so that I can relish in salvation and just be happy I'm on my way to heaven without helping somebody else to come to know him as their savior. And so what a wonderful blessing it is. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you have seen God work in your life so that you are able to share your faith with others. Uh, when, we went, when dad retired from the Marine Corps, uh, we moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and mom and dad started working in a ministry down there. It was a soul-winning church. That meant they're concerned about the souls of men. Let me illustrate it this way. And I'm not going to mess with these beautiful characters on here. Okay, I'm not going to mess with these beautiful characters, but I, I kind of want you to think of, of who we are as people. And actually, we have three parts. So I'm going to use these three right here. And uh, if I could, I would lay that one down because there's something that's going to happen to part of us. But I want you to recognize that we are made of three parts. When God made us, he made us a body. We're going to let this one be the body. All right. And then a soul and then spirit. And so when God made us, he made us whole. In fact, when he made Adam and Eve, he made them whole. They had body, soul, and spirit. Now, what happened in the Garden of Eden was that there were, uh, they only had one rule. Imagine being in a world that you only have one rule, and, you, and all you have to do is keep that one rule, and everything else is fine. But even at that, it shows us what man does, right? Man, when he has one rule, hey, don't, ladies, don't, get, don't you... Don't think I'm talking just to the men here. It's, it's all of us, right? And it's, it's, it's Eve that had the, was tempted by the, the devil, but Adam and then ate freely and willingly. But what happened? Well, this body, soul, and spirit that we all have uh, then became defective because sin entered when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So God said, don't eat from that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of us and many probably know that story. And God said, don't eat from that one tree. And guess what happened? The devil shows up, and when he gets in the way, he always messes things up. And he'll mess things up in our life and try his best to deceive us and to blind us from knowing the truth of the Word of God and the truth of the love of God. And we need to recognize what the Bible teaches. We are made of body, soul, and spirit. So when God, said, God told these, these two first people that he made, Adam and Eve, when you... Uh, or in the garden, there's one tree you can't eat from. And when you do, now listen to what he said. In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Interestingly enough, those of us that know that story, when Eve ate the fruit, what did she do? Did she die? She didn't. And she did. 
a two-part question. I mean, a two-part answer. So what happened? Well, she gave the fruit to her husband, Adam, and Adam willingly ate of that fruit. And the Bible says that responsibility goes upon Adam, and because of Adam's sin, sin entered into the world. So what happened when they ate? Did God lie? He said, when you eat of that fruit, it, you will surely, in the day you eat, in that day you'll surely die. Did the body die? It didn't. It kept on going. In fact, then they sewed leaves together and tried to cover themselves because they were ashamed before God, and, and God had to go looking for them, and they hid themselves from God, and, and God said, that's not good enough. Man, what man can do to cover yourself and your sin is not good enough. He killed an animal. And an animal... The blood of the animal satisfied the Lord, and he took the skin from that animal and covered them. A beautiful picture of the way Jesus can save us from our sins. But what happened in the garden? The body didn't die, and God said it would. Well, he didn't actually say the body would die. It would die later. But death came into the world, and death by sin. So that all, uh, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, the Bible says. Right? So what happened in the garden? Here's what happened. The body didn't die because... Well, eventually it's going to. This is the, the temporal part. Our body is the temporal part of us. We also have another part we need to understand. And that's the what? The soul. And each of us has an eternal soul in, as a part of us. That soul will live forever. Somewhere. Right? But what happened to Adam and Eve's body, soul, and spirit? When they ate that fruit, the part that died that day was this part. Spirit. Now, sometimes we have trouble understanding this, but if I could, I'd lay this down, and it kind of represent the death that they experienced that day. And when that spirit died, then they didn't want to be close to God because of their sin. That had to do with the fellowship of us with God. It is no wonder in this world that people don't want the Lord in their life. The Bible says they're spiritually dead. That's the picture of you and me when we were born into this world. If you keep that picture in your mind, it helps us to understand that when God comes into the picture and he wants to provide salvation, it's not enough for us to just know about the Bible. We have to experience God's rebirth. And when I was 11 years old, uh, I, under, I heard the message many times that Jesus died for my sins and that he was buried and that he rose again. And when he did, and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would you like to see what happens? God comes, and he touches and quickens the part that's dead. God comes to live within this person now. Now they are whole again. Their body, soul, and the spirit is now living. It's made alive. You see, salvation is not what you do when you come to church because you give your offerings. Salvation is not what you do. If you happen to go to a baptismal pool, wherever that is, and get baptized, and if you don't experience this salvation, saving work of God, of God coming in and touching you and making you alive and quickening you, that's what that word means, made alive, then guess what? You could just get wet every day of your life, and that's all you would be is wet. Baptismal waters don't save you. Giving doesn't save you. Good works don't save you. The only thing that can save you is God coming down and taking away your sin and having his blood applied to your life. And that's what's so important. When I did that when I was 11 years old, I was afraid that day. The Lord had made me afraid that if I died, I didn't know where I was going. 
And we need to understand that once that happens, that's the Holy Spirit of God working in our heart, helping us and pointing us to what we need. I didn't know exactly what I needed, but I made a beeline to my pastor's office. It was during during a Christian school day. We had just had our chapel. We'd gone back to our classrooms and sat down. And when I did, my hands started shaking like they were cold. I'd never experienced that before. And I remember grabbing my hands because it, it felt somewhat cold, but I couldn't figure out why they were shaking. And I grabbed my hands, and when I did, my legs started shaking. And I knew something was wrong, and I didn't know what it was. But then all of a sudden, a thought came to my mind. I believe the Lord put it there, and it was this. If I died, where would I go? I didn't know. See, I was brought up in a fine Christian home. My parents were in church every Sunday. And I learned Bible verses that I can't tell you when I memorized because I learned them in Sunday school when I was too young to even remember learning them. And uh, you know what? That doesn't change the inside. It may change the outside so that we maybe act a little bit better or talk a little bit better, but only God working on the inside can be a change. And so when I got understood the, that, I went to my pastor's office. Guess what he did? He grabbed a black Bible just like mine, and he brought it out, and he began to open it and tell me what God says about how I can be changed on the inside, how I can be saved is what we call it. And so when I got finished listening to what he said, he said basically this, we're all sinners. And there's a payment for sin, but Christ has made the payment for that sin. And if we will place our faith in Jesus Christ, He comes to live within. He quickens the spiritual part of us that was dead in trespasses and sins and makes us alive. And guess what happened? I got beside a metal chair, a folding chair, and I could take you to the spot where it is in the old building of the Calvary Baptist Church in Newburn, North Carolina. I could show you the spot where I got on my knees. And I began to pray as an 11-year-old boy. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was asking the Lord, for his mercy and his grace and thanking him for dying on the cross for my sins. And I never even got to the amen before something happened on the inside. (laughs) And the Lord had touched my soul. And the fear that I had up until that point instantly just went away. You know what that is? That's not me trying to make good on what I learned from the Bible. That was God quickening me. It took the fear away. I'm 57 now. That happened when I was 11. That was, what, 46 years ago? And for 46 years, I never one time have worried and fretted or feared where I'm going when I die. Only God can give peace like that. And if you're here tonight, I don't know you, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you were brought up in church, maybe, I don't know. Maybe you think that by your good works, by being a good person, none of those things save us. Think about this before I get into my message. I'm already preaching, but before I get into my message, think about this. One of the stories I love to hear and think about is the, the, the men who died beside Jesus on the cross. All of us know there were two of them. And those thieves, those men who were dying because of their sin, were mocking the Lord all the way to the cross. If you're truly the Son of God, Get us down from here. Show us your power. That's the kind of things they were saying, and maybe even cursing. Who knows? But they were mocking the Lord. The Bible says it. They both were. But at some point, one of them changed. I believe it happened about this time, when the Lord looked up towards his father, and he said, Father, forgive them. He had been beaten. He had been been slapped 
and his beard pulled out and a crown of thorns placed on his head. He, at that point, probably did not look like a human. He had been beaten so much. And yet, having endured all of that with those mockers standing all around his cross, what does he do? He doesn't call down fire from heaven to consume all of these people. He says, Father, have mercy on them, for they know not what they do. I believe that one of those thieves, I don't know which side he was on, but one of those guys I do know turned and said to the other thief, you know what, we are dying because of our sins, not him. He finally understood who Jesus was. He turns to the Lord and said the most unusual sinner's prayer I think I've ever heard. He turned to the Lord and he said, Father, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Now, I would never advise anybody to pray that prayer, but God looks on the heart. And what God saw from that man was a a heart that was saying, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I deserve to be in my place where I am right now but not you. And he turned to the only one who could save him, the Son of God who came down from heaven. He said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said? You've been too bad. No way possible. No. You remember what he said? Today. Today. You'll be with me in paradise. That's why we have missions conference time. To remember our own salvation. Remember what Jesus did on the cross. And remember the the little figures here that represent the world are people who don't know the story you just heard. If you hold up a copy of this book in in Japan and say, Kore wa nandiska, what is this? The average Japanese will shake their head and they'll say, Wakarimasen. Don't know. Can there be people in the world that don't know what a Bible is? Can there be people in the world that don't know the name of Jesus and what he did for them on the cross? Those of us that know him, we have a great responsibility, a great opportunity. As we mentioned this morning, 275,000 people are born every day. Hey, there are endless opportunities for us to give people the gospel. If we'll just think about the new people that are born every day, think about the, the... Thousands that will be born this week. And how much we should be involved in getting the gospel to others. Well, we need to see God at work. First of all, in salvation. And then after salvation, why do we serve him? Because of what he's done. And because he has turned to us and given us an opportunity to be able to do something for him. So open your Bibles, if you will, please. I'll try to make my message shorter since I made the introduction long. You'll never know. Until I get to the end. If I'm, if I'm long, then you'll know. I didn't, I didn't make my message short, I'm, but I'll, I'll try my best. But I love God's word, and sometimes I get carried away. I don't try to remember. Uh, you guys are sitting, and I'm standing, and for me moving around and preaching, I have a great time sometimes. can't sit quite as long as, as some of us can preach. So <laughs> we're going to look at uh, John chapter 6. And as we look at John chapter 6, this is a story uh, of a little boy, a lad, the Bible calls him. John chapter 6. And going back to the song, the lady sung as a special, little is much when God is in it. We learn from this story what a little lad had and what God did. And the wonderful thing about this story is 
What can we see God doing in our life if we're willing to trust Him by faith? And like Brother Rice said, give Him our all. And that's what the little lad did. Now, if you don't know the story, uh, I'm going to read a little portion of it, and then we'll get into what I want to say, and then we'll go home. All right? So it says uh, in verse number 1, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. John chapter 6, verse 2. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. The Passover, the feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, guess what we preached on this morning? Jesus saying, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, right? And here he is again, and he's experiencing this. Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw what? He saw a great company come unto him. And so a lot of people have come. In fact, we learn later on in the story there are over 5,000 men. In a different passage that tells the same story, it tells us that there are women and children. How many thousands of people must have been there? And I, I really don't even know. I don't know if every man there had a wife and every, every husband and wife had a child. And so, you know, we can only speculate. Uh, but let's just settle on what we know exactly the Bible says is there, and that is 5,000 men were there, right? Would that not be enough people to think, you know, that's a lot of people, right? That's a lot of people. Many more than 5,000, I'm sure, were there that day. But there were at least 5,000. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, those men that were following him, and look what he says. So he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, which is one of the disciples, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, I like this story because I like to relate it to missions. Uh, Missions. Here we are at Anchor Baptist Church, and we're in missions month, and this is a time for us to be challenged about the needs of the world. People all around the world need the gospel, and God has given to you. Anchor Baptist Church, and all of you that are here that know the Lord, a great challenge, and that is, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It doesn't tell us to go there and and kind of converse with them a little bit, and maybe just, you know, if we get a chance, tell them a little bit about the Bible. Preach the word, and as we proclaim the word of God, there's power in the Word of God as it's proclaimed, and that's the job of missionaries that go into all the world and preach the gospel. And you get to do that as you are giving to missionaries here in this church. As you give to missions, you're going where you cannot go. You're preaching where you cannot preach because we can only be in one place at one time, as we said this morning, right? I'd love to be in New Zealand with my son-in-law helping him in his church and, uh, of course, seeing the grandkids. But uh, we would also love to be in Japan right now back where we were for 24 years, and I would, I would be there in a heartbeat. You say, why did you come home? Because God led us into a different line of work. And you have to remember, even the Apostle Paul, as he was led, uh, he was headed for a particular place to serve. God said, nope, not that one, and he led him somewhere else. Let the Lord lead. That's the way we serve. And, uh, and, uh, your, and Brother Rice knows that. He's, he's been on the mission field, and then God redirected him into, and, and he's the Lord. He's the great shepherd. Our job is simply to follow, right? And when we follow, it doesn't, you don't end up in the wrong place. You end up right where God wants you, doing right what God wants you to do, and that's an exciting thing. Uh, but when we come to this story, how does it relate to missions? Well, there's lots of people. There's many more than 5,000 in this world, right? Over 8 billion. That number scares me because I can't even count that high. And I, don't, I can't even fathom the amount of people in this world. But what a great chance and opportunity we have to live at this time. 
there are more people living possibly right now than ever before. I don't know that for sure because I don't know how many people were living up until the flood, which could have been a great number. But there are probably more people living right now than ever before. And we as believers in Jesus Christ about his understanding his death and his burial and his resurrection and understanding that the Spirit can be made alive again through Jesus Christ have the opportunity to make a difference and an impact in our world today. One by one, reaching our family, reaching our friends, reaching our neighborhoods, reaching the world as we help to support and pray for missionaries. And so we have a great opportunity, but here they are. The disciples are with Jesus. There's 5,000 men, and the Lord turns to those men and says, what? Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, the question that comes to my mind, why did Jesus ask the disciples how they're going to feed the people? Interestingly enough, God wants us and our faith to be increased. And God wants us to be challenged. So if, he's going to t- if the Lord were standing here tonight, maybe he might say to you, how are you going to reach the world? And some of you might be sitting here and thinking, I don't have very much. I'm not very much. So why would the Lord look to somebody like me, who has limitations, who has inabilities. I'm not always even faithful to the Lord in every way that I should be. Because of my flesh and because of sin that may come into my life, I might not be exactly what God always wants me to be. And yet, as a believer, God wants to use each one of us to reach the world. Think of that. So when He comes to you, and He might be speaking to your heart right now. He might be speaking to your heart through the missionaries that have come already. He might be speaking to your heart next Sunday as another missionary family I believe is coming. Is that right? Wednesday. Right. Next week is April. But it's, missions month is in March, so he can't come next Sunday because that's April. Okay. All right, so you got somebody else coming on Wednesday. And God might be speaking to you then. So what are you going to do about it, Anchor Baptist Church? Individually, think of that yourself. How are you going to respond to this month of meetings in your church? Missions, missionaries preaching, God speaking through his word. What are you going to do about it? Don't do what we're, I'm about to show you, okay? So Philip, the first example that we have here of what not to do is Philip. And so we find in verse number 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Oh, by the way, don't miss verse 6, which says, and this he said to what? To prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. And our Lord is a wonderful God, and he's a wonderful shepherd, and he wants us to learn how to trust him more. But don't do what Philip did. So Philip, he's the one that begins to try to figure it out. Brother Rice is talking about how so many uh, uh, commitments have come in so far this morning, and uh, I mean, up to this point, and there's others that will come in afterwards, and hopefully you're planning on reaching a certain level, and uh, he's trying to figure it out. Don't do that. No, I'm kidding. But we, we do. We, we, we look to the commitments of God's people, and that's what we try to understand what, what our church can do for the next year in missions. Your commitments ought to be made how? Not like Philip is trying to figure it out. 
He's trying to figure things out. He says, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. What is he doing there? I don't even know. I, I don't know what exactly what 200 penny worth even relates to in our day. But here's my thinking. I think probably he thought of a figure that if they had this kind of money, it would be wonderful. And it was probably, you know, for us. In thinking of reaching the world, what would you think would be a big number? Anything more than I got is a big number. But anyway, a uh, million dollars? Could we start there? A million dollars. If we had a million, would, would it help us? Well, sure, it would help a little, but would it be enough? And so maybe Philip, he's trying to figure things out. That's not the best way to do this. There really is a real simple answer to this question. And the disciples couldn't figure it out. So Philip, he's trying to figure things out, right? Let's look to the next disciple. In verse number 8, it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. And I would suggest to you, had Andrew been encouraged at that particular moment, I would have told him, stop right there. Don't continue your conversation. Because he goes on to say what? But what are they among so And here's a point where we might get ourselves involved with and think, what little I have, as we think about our bank accounts, as we think about what we have in our pockets, uh, what we have that we can give towards reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we might be challenged about something, but then think, but what is that amongst so many? Seriously, my giving, how is that going to impact the world? Can we in, in, in impact the world just on what we can do? And that's what Andrew is doing. Philip, what was his problem? He's, he's trying to figure things out. Andrew, what's his problem? He's worried about it. And he's worrying about things that both of these guys should not have been doing that. There's one more illustration I want to give you, and I want you to listen to this verse. It's in a different passage, in, a, in the same story, uh, talking about a different passage and what some of the other disciples did that they aren't named. It says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place. Speaking of the same story, tells you a little bit about where they were. It was a desert place, and the time is now past, so it was the wrong place. It was the wrong time, and what did they say? Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Vittles to us from down south. Uh, but guess what they decided, some of them? They looked over the situation. Jesus has said, where are we going to buy food that these may eat? Philip, he's trying to figure it out. Andrew, he's worried about it, even though they found a lad that had five loaves and two small fishes. What are they among so many? What do some of them do? They just threw up their hands and they gave up. They said, there's just, there's no way. This is impossible. This is an impossible task. Send them away. Now, your response may be that one of those. I don't know. I hope it's not. Because we should never, having received the graciousness of God in salvation, simply say to the world, you know what, sorry world, we can't, we, there's no way, this is an impossible task, we can't, we can't help you get the message of Jesus Christ. We don't have the ability, we don't have the funding, we don't have the manpower. Are we just going to ignore the world? Or are we going to do our best to get the gospel to the world? How do we get the gospel to the world? That's where the little lad comes in. Now, these disciples should have learned the lesson. But I used to be a little lad who 
was a while back, but I can remember sitting in church and having this anticipation and this feeling about me that I wanted to do something for God. And I know what it's like to be a little lad. Again, it was a few pounds ago. But uh, I used to be a little lad, and I still have the same heart sometimes, and I still want to serve God, and I still want to see Him work in my life and through me, and I want Him to show up sometimes so that I can say, there's no way possible that this has happened except God. Kind of like the day I was sitting in church and my preacher was preaching, and he was kind of the one that would preach it straight and simple and clear, and he made a statement in his message. I can't tell you where he preached from. I can't tell you the title of his message. I don't even remember what he preached. But I remember in that message, he was preaching away, and the Holy Spirit of God used a phrase that he said to stir in my heart a need in my life. And we had just moved to a new church in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And uh, my mom and dad were working for a different Bible college at that time. And we had come to this church, and we had been there a little while, and here's what my preacher said. He said, if you're here tonight, and you're not busy doing something for God, you're not right with God. I'm not saying that to you. He was saying that to me, okay? But it was right. He was true. And, and the Holy Spirit took an arrow, and he just kind of, right down to the third row to a little guy's heart that was sitting there listening to preaching. And God stuck me good. I'm glad he did because we had been serving in that church, or we had been, we had been attending the church. We were enjoying the fellowship. We were enjoying the singing. We were enjoying the preaching, and everything was wonderful. But I hadn't gotten busy in the church doing anything yet. God began to work in my heart. Guess what? I did. I entered the invitation immediately. My preacher was still preaching, and I didn't hear anything else he said because I bowed my head, literally bowed my head, and I didn't pray out loud, but in my heart I said, Lord, that's me, and I'm sorry for my sin. And that's how we need to respond to God when God speaks to our heart. We need to make it personal. We need to let the Lord have his way in our life, and if we will, he'll do a work that only he can do. And I began to pray, and I said, Lord, that's me. I'm sorry for that. Would you please forgive me? And then I prayed something like this. Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, that's what I'll do. Now, that's where the disciples should have been. When Jesus said, where are we going to buy food that these may eat? They should have immediately said, there is no possible way we can figure it out. We know who you are. And we know with, 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 with you, nothing is impossible. That's the kind of faith they should have had, but they didn't go that far. And so in, in my seat, I'm saying, Lord, would you show me? Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. I made that commitment first. I said, Lord, whatever. And if you'll show me, I'll do it. As soon as I prayed that prayer, I said, Lord, what would you have me to do? My preacher's still preaching. And I'm, I'm on, in my third row seat, and I'm talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, what would you have me to do? The next two words that came to my mind were the bus ministry. Our, our church had 15 bus routes that lined the parking lots and Many churches have been devastated by not being able to run their ministries like they have been in the past because of this pandemic. But at that time, we had buses out front, and we saw them every Sunday, and they'd roll in, bringing boys and girls and mamas and daddies to church. And I had seen them, but I didn't know anything much about the bus ministry. And, and I don't know why those words came to my mind. Can, can you figure it out? Why, when you're talking to the Lord, would all of a sudden a thought come to your mind? Well, you can ask yourself, is it of the flesh? Is it of the devil? It's not of the flesh and it's not of the devil. It might be the Lord. That's kind of how I was taught to think as God's speaking to my heart. And so I thought about the flesh. I didn't want to, was it something just that I wanted to do? Well, I didn't know much about the bus ministry, so I wouldn't have, I couldn't have, I couldn't have contrived those thoughts from my own 
flesh, so it must have not been my flesh. Then I thought, was it the devil? Certainly don't want to do anything he wants me to do. Maybe he's trying to deceive me. I don't want to follow him in any way. But what he want me to take boys, a bus and get mamas and daddies and boys and girls to come to church and see them saved? I came to the conclusion it wasn't the devil. So then I thought, maybe it's the Lord. I said, Lord, if that's what you want, I'll do it. And then I made a statement to myself as my preacher was finishing up his message. And he said, and I said, Lord, would you show me? Because I, know, I don't know what to do, but I know that if you, would, if you would show me that you're in this, you would help me. That was the end of my time. And invitation time came, as you have in your church. Often, I would go front forward. I, also, I used to love when God spoke to my heart to get on the altar. It's a wonderful place to be. If you don't do that and it's not a pattern in your life, make your seat an, an altar and do business with God after every message. That's how God speaks to our heart and how God moves. And those decisions that we make are meaningful and should be meaningful, how we walk with the Lord. And so I made my decisions in, my decisions in my seat. But then when the invitation came, I didn't go forward that day. I didn't necessarily want to tell anybody. Stick my neck out. <laughs> Maybe a lack of faith. But I just wanted to see what God was going to do. I just didn't know he was going to do it as quickly as he did. Because when the final amen was said and the church stood up and started to go home, I made my way. There were three sections in that auditorium, a middle section and two side sections. I was sitting on the left side and the third row. And I made my way towards the, the aisle on the side. And we had about 20 pews all the way back. And so it's a long uh, uh, auditorium. And, and I made my way that way. Everybody seemed to go that way. Except for a fella that was in the very back corner. And he began to come down the aisle Except when I looked up and I saw him as I'm walking down my pew, it looked like he was looking at me. Then I got a little bit afraid. What's this guy looking at me for? I didn't know who he was. His name was Bill Burrell. I found out later, and he was a bus captain. And Bill Burrell made his way on a, on a mission down the aisle until when I got to the end of the aisle, he met me at my aisle, stuck out his hand to shake my hand, and when he gripped my hand, looked me right in the eyes and said these words, David... I wonder, would you help me on my bus route? And after I picked my job off the ground, I said, I would be glad to. Now, what do you think that did in my heart, that God would work that way? He doesn't always do that, but I loved it that he spoke to my heart in such a way that I found out what God can do. Now, I can't tell you from this story that the young lad knew all of, all of what God was going to do. You know what I think was happening there? I think this little lad had some food, and some people call it his lunch. I, I'm not quite so sure about that, and this text doesn't tell us it was his lunch, all right? So I can speculate, right? I can speculate that it might not have been his lunch. Because I've been to some third world countries, and when I've been to third world countries, what often I see is some young boys out trying to sell stuff to make some money to help the family to live in their day. Now, just maybe the dad was a fisherman. Maybe the mama was a baker. Maybe mom and dad sent the little lad out to where the crowd was going to be because they heard about Jesus, and maybe he was out there selling the food. Now, you say, Brother Harris, how can you, how, how can you come to that conclusion? Well, how can you come to the conclusion it's, it's lunch? The Bible doesn't say it was. And so I'm going to take it for granted that he, he, whatever it was, he had some food, right? We know that for sure. He had five loaves and two small fishes. And when he heard... Maybe he, and like me, when I was a little lad, I liked to be up front. I liked to hear 
what's coming out close to, to, from the pulpit and from the Lord. And, and that little fellow probably made his way real close to Jesus. And he, he heard Jesus took, look, talk to the disciples. And they're saying, where are we going to buy food that these may eat? And guess what that little fellow did? I've got something. And certainly Andrew was right. What little is that going to matter? But guess what that little lad said? If nobody else has anything to eat, Jesus can have what I have. And I believe he brought it to the Lord as an offering simply so that Jesus could have what he had left. Now look what God did with it. Look in verse number 11. In verse number 11 it says, And Jesus took the loaves. Does that not speak to your heart? He didn't look at the little bit of food that the lad had and said, Thank you, little guy, but guess what? Uh, There's too many people here. Jesus took the loaves. And whatever you offer the Lord, he'll take it. And not only will he accept it, but look what happens next. And Jesus took the loaves, and look at this next part. And when he had what? Given thanks. When you are trying to do something for God, whatever it is he wants you to give to him, when you decide to give it, he accepts it, and he blesses it. He gave thanks. Think of that. Five loaves and two small fishes, and yet there was a little guy there that said, I want Jesus to have what I have. And he gave him all that he had, and the Lord takes it, and he looks up towards heaven, and he says, thank you, Father. Thank you for the lad that gave what he had. That song, little as much. When God is in it, so true. And that little guy, simply thinking that Jesus was going to have something to eat if nobody else did that day. How do you think he went home? With maybe a little skip, a little step in his, in his walk. He was, woo! After he saw what God did with that, after he had taken it, after he had given thanks, and then guess what he did? In verse 11, he distributed it to the disciples. And you get what you have placed in the Lord's hands he begins to bless it and to use it, he can do far more with what you have than you can. And he began to multiply it. And there is where the miracle took place. When you put your, into his hands what he is burdening you to do this year for worldwide evangelization, guess what? God's going to take it. He's going to bless it. He's going to multiply it. And when we do that, we begin to see what great things God can do. And he multiplied it. And, uh, to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, they didn't have just a bite to eat. They didn't have just a morsel of bread like we do in our, in our uh, Lord's Supper as a memorial. They ate as much as they wanted because it just kept coming, because the Lord was providing it. And they were filled. And then they gathered up the fragments that remained. And guess what remained? The story goes on to tell us 12 baskets full remained. Interestingly enough, God doesn't do anything as a sleight of hand. Or, uh, there were how many disciples? 12. Do you think they got to eat the food? I don't think so. Do you think God's going to bless not having faith by giving them an abundance at the end of the story? And that's the end? That's where you're going to have to let me use my... my Uh, sanctified imagination here a little bit because here's what I think. The Lord said, hey guys, go pick up one of those baskets. 
follow the lad home. You know who I think got the food? The family that had the food that maybe sent their son out to, to, to uh, sell it. Because of, because of this reason. What would that family have done with 12 baskets of food? Could they have ever eaten it before it spoiled? No. But if the lad was selling the food to the crowd and they took it back to the family, what would the lad have done the next day? Taken that food out to the crowd that was still there to sell it. And God's principle is when you give, he's going to give more in return so that you can then serve him in a greater way. And that's what I think happened in the story. When we get to heaven, you'll find out I'm right. But one thing we do know, God showed up that day. Woo, what it would be like if God could show up in our service tonight. He can. You don't know him as your Savior. You'll open your heart to him. This can be a miracle night tonight. It really can. Because he can take the spirit that's dead and raise it to life. If you'll come to him. That's the message we have to give to the world. We don't go out thinking, oh, nobody's going to be interested. What little I have is not going to matter much. We go out in faith believing that it's God's work and God has sent us to proclaim the message of the cross and the message that is there's salvation in Jesus Christ if you'll come. Guess what we get to see? We get to see God do things. But I don't have time to tell you. You don't want to stay that long. <laughs> I could tell you some wonderful things of what God has done. And may I challenge you this week? Desire to see what God can do. You're praying about somebody that you may be thinking about, you've been witnessing to, and they, they have turned you off. They have said no to God. They, they, they don't know God. They don't want God. Think about Paul. Saul. For his name was Paul, was a persecutor of the church. Going on his on a trip to Damascus to go find more of these so-called believers in Jesus Christ and to throw them in prison and to kill them because of their faith in, in this so-called Messiah on the road. Light shines down from heaven. He sees Jesus. And the voice comes out from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Art thou Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Instantly, the great persecutor of the church becomes the great proclaimer of the gospel. One of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. That is the saving power that God has. That's what God can do when he shows up. And I know that he can show up in your life tonight, and you might not be anticipating it. Maybe you just came for the 6 o'clock hour. Didn't know exactly what was going to happen, except around 7 o'clock is when we're supposed to get done, and it's time to go home now. Wouldn't it be great if God showed up? And he can. He can. And he does. When we take the simple words of the Word of God and begin to tell people there's salvation in Jesus Christ. There's hope in Jesus Christ. If you die today, do you know for sure where you'll spend eternity? Would you like to know? You begin to share the gospel with people, people that aren't even interested. God can work on their heart and help them to realize their need of salvation if we'll have faith like that little lad to give ourselves to the Lord. Would you bow for prayer? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I long to see 
what you can do. Lord, I want you to do something special in the hearts of everyone that's here tonight. As we've thought about missions this month here at Anchor Baptist Church, what would you have us to do? Maybe there's a young person, a teenager, or a girl, a mom or dad, a young family, a young at heart family that wants to do something for you. Lord, I know what you can do. We've seen it over and over and over again when we, by faith, step out to say, Lord, here's what I have. Take it, use it. Bring honor and glory to your name. Use what I have to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you take us and you want to use us and you want to bless us and you want to multiply what little we can do and help us to reach the world. Lord, there are millions, millions of people around the world that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're many places that I've seen, there's no gospel preaching church. Lord, from Anchor Baptist Church, would you send a laborer, someone here that will take the gospel to someone that needs it? May you use all of us to take the gospel our families and friends and neighbors in our city. Lord, have your will and way tonight. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we stand our feet. Piano's playing. What does God want of you tonight? You say, well, I don't have much. That little lad didn't have much. You say, well, I don't have much talent. I don't have much Ability. I don't have much money. Listen, it's, it's not all of those things. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to be 100% surrendered to Him. That's what God wants. And we've heard it time and time again you can watch God do amazing stuff that you know was not you because it was bigger than you the altar's open these have come maybe you're here this evening and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal savior so I'm, I'm not for sure even what that means. As Brother Harris explained how as an 11-year-old boy, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save him. You can do that this evening. We'd love to show you from the Word of God. We'd love to help you. If you need help with that, come. We'll be, we don't want to embarrass you. We want to help you. Know how you can know for sure where you're going to spend eternity. most important decision you'll ever make in your life, giving your life to Him.
bring our invitation to a close. Again, I appreciate your attention and being here. And again, as I mentioned this morning, your missions commitments, do not forget about that. If you uh, 